When you know that you are queer, but your favorite drink is beer, that's gayish. You can bottom without stopping, but you can't stand going shopping, that's gayish. Oh, gayish, you're probably gayish. Well, life's just too short for narrow stereotypes, so it's gayish. We're also gayish. It's gayish with Mike and Kyle. Hello, everyone in the podcast universe. This is Gayish. The podcast that can reach an octave and a third on the piano, so I can probably finger two twinks at once with one hand. <laughs> I think I think so. You know, just, you stretch out just, stretch out enough, they got their tiny little butts. Well, if, yeah, well, if, if you get if you get them to stand butt to butt, you know. Ass to ass. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. And we're here to bridge the gap between sexuality and actuality. And today... Today... We're going to talk about queer news. Yeah, queer news. Yeah. We are going to have an expert for queer news Anna Deshawn on because she does a podcast called Queer News with Anna Deshawn and uh, we're going to talk about just news and the art of finding news to talk about and all kinds of good things. Yeah, super excited to talk to her. Absolutely. Um rarely do we get somebody who's so much more of an expert than us, Kyle. Ex- except- <laughs> it's so hard to find these days. <laughs> but, but first, first, yeah. Uh I'm in Ireland right now. Things are crazy. Uh, if you hear Irish people, it's because apparently they like to wander around drunk in the streets, even on Sundays. So deal with that. Yeah. Are you, is that what your plans are after this recording? No, I have to go to sleep immediately. We just, uh, yeah, it's, it's like nine 30 here and I have a 7am train. Where are you going next? Paris. Ooh, I hear it's burning. I hear it's burning too. I'm like super actually worried about it that maybe I will die. Oh, is it really? I was referring to the famous movie, Paris is Burning. No, I was referring to the actual things on fire in Paris right now because there's a bunch of civil unrest. But, um, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> My reference was untimely. Or I could have pretended like I was very knowledgeable on the news. Yep, yep, exactly. Hey, speaking of the news, we're not going to do the news because first we have 100 words. First we have 100 words. Yep. Uh, so at a certain level of Patreon, if you send in 100 words, I will say them with my mouth hole. So this week we have one from from uh, Tate. So here we go. Happy birthday, Patch. I'm so happy to have spent another birthday with you, and I look forward to many more. I'm so happy to have you and Eric in my life, and I think about how grateful I am for you both daily. I hope you're having slash had an amazing birthday. LOL. I have no clue when this will actually air. I love you so much, and I hope you enjoyed this message, Tate. It's airing today, LOL. (laughs) Uh, Happy birthday, Patch. Happy birthday, Patch. So feedback and corrections. We had a live show last week. We called it Boobs. We talked to that lesbian and her friend about boobs. Uh, uh, But uh, that was not the first time we talked about boobs. That was not. No, we (laughs) kind of missed that we had already talked about that topic. And so we didn't name it. We still we still cover topics twice. That's acceptable. But usually then we call it boobs, too. So, yeah, you know, whoops. So if 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 we go for three boobs, Kyle, are we going to call it boobs three? I think it'll have to be boobs three. Technically, it'll be the third the third. Well, if we remember if we do boobs again in 100 episodes and we're like, hey, this is original creative idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think Derek fixed us. I don't think it's going to happen anymore. Okay. Thanks, Derek. Until it does. Until it does. Um, okay. Now the news. Nope. Podcast awards. 
we are nominated again uh, for a podcast award for the podcastawards.com. So um, we would really appreciate if everyone would go vote for us. You go to the yeah. podcastawards.com. It's a really quick process. You can register for an account. And then if you want to give us extra help, check off yes, you'll want to be a judge because then mm-hmm. you get to give us an extra push in the final voting. But Hey, uh, fuckers, go- do it. Ooh. You want to be yeah. a judge. You want to vote. And then vote yeah. for us, because if you don't, you're a dirty bitch. <laughs> it would be really sweet, dear listeners, <laughs> if you would vote for us. Um, in the LGBTQ category, we are amongst the nominees. So podcastawards.com. Do it. Now the news. Now the news. Shut your mouth hole. It's time for your ear holes. News. 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 News the first. This really sucks, and I'm sorry, but shit is terrible uh the supreme court has yet again ruled that you can be a religious dickbag fuckface asshole and discriminate against gay people in the united states uh in a six to three decision uh the court ruled in the 303 creative llc versus ellen ellenis elenis elenis it's one of those whatever that colorado violated a graphic designer's freedom of speech over its non-discrimination law. It was a six to three ruling. It was all of the conservative justices of which there are way too many because Trump and McConnell cheated. Um, But uh, the the court ruled that quote, the first amendment prohibits Colorado from forcing a website designer to create expressive designs, speaking messages with which the designer disagrees. The designer was saying, yeah, I make websites for a living and um, all of these gays, they want me to make their wedding websites. And I just can't because Jesus and one thing that gets buried in this story, though, that I think is, well, infuriating, but also kind of funny at the same time. Apparently, uh, she had exactly zero gays ask her to do their wedding website. This was like a hypothetical. She preemptively sued. She's actually made zero websites for anyone. It's a new business. What? <laughs> Wait. Yeah. How did this lawsuit come up? Because of because of the proactive no gays hey no gays allowed kind of thing yeah somebody much smarter than me is going to have to tell me how it is that this person was able to sue when nothing had happened yet this is like the republican thing of like nothing happened to me and i'm terrified you know like nothing has happened yet but i'm gonna go ahead and get on the defensive about it yeah yep absolutely um i'm very sad about this kyle i'm trying not to be angry i think be angry i think that's fair yeah. It sucks. It fucking sucks. It's wrong and it sucks. And her websites suck. Yeah. Fuck you, lady. <laughs> just uh, it is so dangerous. The world that we live in, in which a person can just do whatever the fuck that they want to without consequence, as long as they say that it was because Jesus. And yeah. um, I, I'm, I'm really scared. So I'm announcing that I'm not moving back from Ireland. I'm just going to live here forever. <laughs> Uh, Dublin and Cork are lovely. Uh, we'll miss you. It's been great, but I understand you gotta, yep. you gotta do it. Yep. Yep. Um, enough about that. I'm, there's going to be more. This is just the tip of the fucking douchebag iceberg. So, yeah. uh, okay. News of the second. So there is a, there has been a series of hacker attacks on various government websites in five States that have all enacted anti-trans legislation. Uh, So websites for state and local governments in Nebraska, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, South Dakota, and Texas have all had data leaks 
and uh, ransomware and other kinds of, 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 of attacks. Uh, the group is known as Siege Sec, and they are a group of gay furries. <laughs> a gr- gay furry hacktivist group? Yes, yes. This sounds like, I don't know. I don't know what it sounds like because I've never heard any combination of those words altogether yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the group has a website. And on that website, they said that their model is, quote, to be gay and do crime. There you go. They have claimed responsibility for online attacks against the Nebraska Supreme Court, South Dakota Board of Commission, Texas Behavioral Health Executive Council, Pennsylvania Providers Self Services, and South Carolina Justice Information Services, among others. So they, they said, quote, we have proudly defaced the South Dakota Boards and Commissions website. We left little special messages across their site. The band of gay furries announced on their website. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, they have now fixed the defacement. Since it seems South Dakota didn't appreciate our gift, we will offer gifts to someone else. We've hacked and leaked documents from the Nebraska Supreme Court, Internet and South Carolina Criminal Justice Information Services. Um, yeah. Be gay, do crime. Yeah. Bring it, gay furries. That's magical. Uh- I love that. I mean, in the face of unfair and like just terrifying rulings, I, what more, what else can you do? You know, so they're doing what they can. I love it. Well, and without advocating violence, although I do want you to burn the motherfucker down, everybody, uh, without advocating violence, uh, uh, I, I think, you know, this is the kind of the stuff that we need to do. We need to stop playing nice. We need to mm-hmm. uh, fight dirty. And I, I think when we're talking about digital information, it can cause real harm to real people. I'm not, not discounting that at all, but it, it like, it's unlikely that anybody directly like was hurt or died because of any of this. Yeah. 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 It disrupts the like government processes that are seeking to like eradicate trans people from the country. Like that's an okay thing to interrupt. That's an okay thing to deface. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Anyway, who knew? gay furry activists i I love Love it it. i yeah it's brand (laughs) new to me uh and the news the last so uh london pride like a lot of people happy not in pride anymore kyle oh yeah happy this is now as they call it gay wrath month yeah exactly (laughs) um so at, at london pride uh, there was a group of anti-LGBTQ uh, religious protesters at, at Pride in London. And when it disrupted the progress of the Netflix hit show Hearts, Heart Stoppers Float, they all gave the protesters the middle finger. So now yeah. there's there's a, a adorable, adorable pictures of Joe Locke and Kit Connor and, and, and the others uh, flipping the protesters off. And again, that's yes, do that. All of that. Yeah, for sure fight back yeah um that i loved i saw those videos like i don't always see like videos of all these things but i watched that video that like warms my heart to be like fuck you we're the ones that are dancing up here and having a good time and you fuck off yep yep also somebody was really obsessed with god damn it joe Locke. i can never remember his name is it because his name is boring the one that plays charlie <laughs> the adorable twinkie one with the curly hair oh he sounds like a character on lost a little bit yeah but uh, for all of the th- shit that was going on, people on Twitter were more obsessed with the way that he was dancing to Padam Padam, which, you know, <laughs> fine. <laughs> of course. Of course, we had to bring Padam Padam into it. We couldn't get out of Pride Month without that. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Heartstopper. I'm looking forward to season two. Uh, that's the news. That's the news. Um, speaking of other things that I appreciate, it's the people that have signed up for Patreon memberships. So thank you to Eric Soto, Spencer... K- Kadogan, K- Kadugan, 
Hayuken. Um, Tate Contreras. Wait, we know that bitch. (laughs) The one that you just read the hundred words words for. Yeah, we know them from several minutes earlier. Happy Um, birthday patch. (laughs) Happy birthday patch. Um, Kit Oliver and M.G. Wait, is that is that two 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 letters one letter names or no no nope the initials MG mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> oh yeah th- thank you mm-hmm. um, thank you to all of our new Patreon members uh, if you want bonus episodes content um, we have so many hours of bonus content if you're all cut up on gayish go over there you can get it at patreon.com slash gayish podcast give us your money please <laughs> uh, do you want to talk about queer news yeah let's talk about queer news this is rough right now to talk about. I know there's so much going on. There's so much fucking awful, terrible shit. And, uh, it's, it's really very difficult to know how to navigate it all. I'm very interested in talking to her about well, well, first, how do you live in that world and not go fucking crazy? I do three news stories a week and one of them's about drag Queens. I can't, and I get upset. Like, how do you, how do you live that life every single day? Yeah. And, and also I want to know, like, when you're a journalist and there's all this pressure to cover both sides, how do you cover the other side? If the other side's position is we want you to die, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah. Anna Deshawn, who does the queer news podcast with Anna Deshawn. I, 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 I have a similar kind of, yeah, I'm wondering how you do an entire podcast on queer news and not go crazy. Yeah. Just spending your time there that, uh, but um, she's a really impressive person. She founded E3 Radio. She hosts a monthly storytelling event. She does a, a whole lot of um, nonprofit work. So she's a really awesome person. And I'm excited to have her on to talk about. Uh, and, and unfortunately, we will be de- delving into the heavy, difficult topic of news. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but I mean, it's just I think a lot of people have these questions of like, well, what do I do? Is it okay if I don't pay attention? I feel like I need to pay attention. Like there's, there's, it's difficult to exist in this world right now, much less feel good about following the news and, and do it in a healthy way. So uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get some insight on at least how Anna handles that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to take a break and when we get back, we'll have Anna Deshawn from Queer News on to, to talk to us about Queer News. Yep. Uh, Oh, wait, I don't usually say that. Should we take a break? Let's take a break. (laughs) Let's take a break. (laughs) This is the part where Mike and Kyle take a break. So are we back? We're back. We're back. We are Uh, here with Anna Deshaun. Welcome, Anna. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see, well, I see y'all. Um, good to be in conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you too. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about queer news, which I mean, that's that's your podcast, Queer News. Uh, it's it's a difficult topic right now. It's hard, y'all. It is hard. It is quite challenging. But I can't really say there's been a time where it was easy either. So there's that. So talk, talk about how, how you got rolling. Queer News, tell us about your podcast, how you got started, uh, what, what the background is there. Yeah, it came out of a pivot. So when I quit corporate in February 2020, mm-hmm. I said, I want to have a morning show. 
I got a radio station, y'all. That's a long story. Started in 2009. We play queer music. It's called E3 Radio. Check it out. Dun, 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 dun. Um, <laughs> but I, when I when I quit corporate, I wanted to have a morning show. So I started a show called Wake Up With Anna and Friends. And it's cool. I know a lot of LGBTQ folks doing good work around the country, right? And so it was a lot of fun. But at some point, it stopped bringing me joy. Like, I just didn't like it. It was like three hours in the morning. I was I was doing what they do, which is play the same songs over and over again. And da 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 And I was like, I am tired of this. And I ended up going to a couple of podcasting conferences, uh, Afros and Audio, and then PodFest, right? And then I, I was really thinking about what can I do? And the part that was really unique about the show was that I was doing these queer news segments at mm. the top of every hour instead of just general news. And I was like, man, I should just turn that into a podcast. Mm. <laughs> Maybe I'll just turn that one portion into a podcast and see what happens. And now I'm talking to y'all about queer news. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, super, that's super awesome. Like what... Um... So I have my go-to is how do you find queer news? Like, do you, do you, I, I imagine people come to you with stuff all the time, but like, do you, what's your process? They don't. People, I wish they did. I've actually thought about starting a queer news tip line uh, okay. so that I could get <laughs> yeah. more stories that are outside of like the blogs and um, social media. But today I got a few trusted sources that I go and check out for politics, for culture and entertainment. I also am just always looking at what my friends are talking about in my community, because if they're talking about it, that means that's something that they care about. And so my community is also probably my number one news source, to be honest. And how do you, there's so much news out there. How do you pick which stories you're going to highlight on your podcast? I do my best not to do what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. unless there's absolutely no reason why I wouldn't. So let me give you an example. In traditional media rooms and media newsrooms, what bleeds is what leads, quite literally. That's why the news every day is something sad and tragic, because that is what people want to hear about. And and today in culture, if something sad and tragic happens to you, there is an expectation that media covers it too. So it is mm-hmm. a, it goes back and forth. There's no one side is right and one side is wrong. But... Mm-hmm. What I know about queer folks is that we also have a lot of joy in our lives that does not get reported on. And there's a lot of good things that is happening in the community that people don't hear about. So, you know, last year when I was doing all the reporting on Brittany Griner, mm. that was a very important story to me. It hit all my identities, all my intersections. Right. And it was a very sad story. We really didn't know how that was going to turn out. But at the same time, there were lots of good things happening. Um that I felt like were also just as important to report on. So I do my best to try to be as balanced as possible in my approach. And I also end every podcast with a word, um, partially because I'm kind of a PK. My dad does everything but preach every Sunday. And (laughs) I want to leave people with something uplifting at the end of the pod because it can be so heavy. And I felt like, oh, I started the pod in November of 2021. And from that time till today, things have gotten worse, right? For queer folks across the country. So I really do try my best to provide some balanced approach to the news that we provide. I didn't realize until right this second that you were a basketball player. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually. That's funny you say that. Uh, so in grammar school, I actually played basketball on the boys' team because there wasn't a girls' team. So me and my homie Janet, 
and Janet was like six two in eighth grade. <laughs> we were we were the two girls on the team, and we actually played basketball in high school together. So I mean, I kind of did. But then I decided to play softball in college. Whole other story. But I, I I grew up a gym rat, honestly. I've actually thought about getting that tattoo. And I was like, a rat is a bad idea. But um, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> okay, this is a tangent. But softball definitely has the like lesbian stereotype. Is how much of that is true? So much of it is true. Is it? <laughs> I, know this, I don't know if another stereotype is that we party a lot. But we sure did party a lot. Oh yeah! Um, oh yeah! Parties were great. Um, we had a good time. <laughs> um, I only played for a year. I was a walk on. Um, there were some good times, some tough times, but I learned a lot through the experience. I do wish I would have played basketball, though. I wish I would have gave basketball a real try. <laughs> so, what kind of stories when you're looking for more positive stories? Is that trying to take the positive? from something negative. Like a lot of people did reach out about Brittany Griner and send positive messages. Like there are positive things to negative stories, but there are also, I don't know, just where do you find that positivity? I guess. I find the positivity in the positive stories, mm-hmm. you know? So for example, right. The last few weeks we've seen judges overturn legislation in some of these senates and Congress halls, right. There, there are judges who are, agreeing and causing injunctions on anti-trans legislation across the country, right? Like that's happening, but we aren't reporting on that because judges aren't sexy. No one knows who this judge is. This <laughs> judge does not have a social media presence, right? They ain't like out here with a hundred thousand followers, right? So we're not, it doesn't make front page news, but it matters. It matters in Florida, right? That the judge has that injunction and that people can continue their care right now. Now, new folks can't begin care, but if you have care, you can continue it. That's important. That's an important win that we should be talking about. Yes, it feels like hell is broken loose. Mm-hmm. And it is awful, but there are but we cannot erase the small wins. The small wins are incredibly important because eventually they're going to lead to the, the big win that we will have, right? We just have to stay in the fight. So I've been saying for a while now on the show that I think that the crazies are extra crazy this year. The, you know, I've, I've been out for 15 years and it feels like this is the worst year of my gay career. <laughs> um, do, you, do you share that assessment? And do, do you have any thoughts about like why that's true? Okay. So my assessment, crazy, always been crazy. Okay. My assessment also is that the orange man allowed the crazy people to be out loud with they crazy, right? Mm. So as a daughter of someone who grew up in the Delta of Mississippi mm. and a father who grew up in the projects of Chicago, my black identity has shown me for my whole entire life that crazy is crazy. Mm. Now, that crazy has just found a leader who is just happens to be a billionaire and who just happens to be a narcissist and will just never give up. Right. Mm. So I believe these crazies just have a vehicle. I think it's always been that way. And I think that the orange man had the power and he did what he did. He, he, the goal was always the Supreme court. And I think if we try to look at it any other way, we've missed the whole moment. We've missed mm. the whole moment. It was about, because it is about policy. Now, Society and culture has always been ahead of politics. And I think that that will probably always be the case because they're only going to do what their constituents want. But 
society and culture has always been sort of a bright shining light. Politics has not. It's always power concedes nothing. And so in this moment, I just feel like he had the opportunity and he did. He appointed three conservative justices. I don't care how they tried to pitch themselves <laughs> during those hearings. They were three conservative judges. And I think when the Supreme Court started, they were supposed to be one way, but we know today they are not. They are not separating their political feelings from standards that have been yeah. set, yeah. right? They they are not different. They are one and the same. And I saw this great, this really dope message on one of those social media networks I will not name. But mm-hmm. it basically it basically said that, you know, this country is showing us that white folks don't want to share, mm. that there are white people who don't want to share this country. And that really hit me in a way because sharing is some, one of those like very basic things we teach kids how to do is like share your toys, share mm-hmm. your, you know, share your good things that you have. You should share it with others because good things come back to you. And that hit me like, why can't we share? Like, mm. And y'all are the first people I'm talking to since this whole affirmative action thing and um, the LGBTQ case. And like, I haven't even done my podcast yet. So y'all are just getting like my raw thoughts right now that I'm going to synthesize later into something. But (laughs) um, (laughs) in this moment, I'm just like, you know, a woman who didn't, a gay person never went to that woman and said, I want a gay marriage website. It didn't, and that, that moment never happened, but yet she still was empowered enough to file a lawsuit and win that now can now that she can discriminate against all these these groups of people who are tax paying citizens of a country what and and we still can't pass an equality act that yeah. right that was just reintroduced which that was just reintroduced which is wonderful but what's happening right now it's um it can be really demoralizing. <laughs> or, and, I've, you know, I've thought many times growing up, especially as I learned about Black History, Civil Rights Movement, Black Panther Party, like, which side would I be on? Would I be a Black Panther or what I would have been like with Dr. King or like, what would I have been doing at that time? And I feel like right now is that same time. Like, what would I be doing in that moment? What would my fight look like? And... I am right now. I'm very much so processing what the fight needs to look like for me. I absolutely think it's my business. I absolutely think it's the podcast. I think it's my voice. But how does that manifest into real life policy change? Because at this point, we we are now in at least a ten to fifteen year battle with legislation. Yeah. To roll some of this stuff back: abortion, affirmative action, LGBTQ rights. Who knows what they're going to do next? Right at least 10 to 15 year battle. So how do we prepare ourselves for this? Because I refuse to let my ancestors down and I'm sure everybody listening refuses to let some of our icons down that we like to honor so much. Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, you know, these amazing people. How do we honor them in this moment? And it sure isn't sitting by silent, you know, living the life. Um. Okay, sorry. Keep going. I'm I'm just I'm processing with you all right now. I I I totally I totally totally agree. And I I think something something you said really really sits with me about about white people not wanting to share because I uh, I have this chart that I post to Facebook 
every year or two. And I call it the only chart that matters in American politics. And it shows that white people won't be the majority in, in this country anymore after about 2040. It moves, but, like, but somewhere in that zone, they'll no longer be 50% of the electorate. And I think that that's, they might not even be conscious of it, but just like, like white people as a group of people are aware that that is happening and freaking the fuck out and doing anything they can to punch anybody below them, whether that be queer people or black people or immigrants, anybody else that they can, they're, they're going to do it. And it's because they're just so frustrated and mad because you mentioned toys. They're having their toys taken away from them just by the way that demographics are changing. I, I really, I firmly believe in my heart that, that, that racism is what's behind anti-trans legislation. I think they've been given all of the toys and then people are like you know what some people deserve some of the toys and they're freaking out about that it's it's not even they have to share some of the the too many toys that they've been given and that's what's making them angry and and it comes from it's it's truly is the way we've been taught about capitalism hmm. and in so many ways in America, that is the foundation of all that has gone wrong, right? Is <laughs> is the love of money. It's not money, it's the love of it, right? <laughs> and capitalism says, I get up and then everyone else has to get down. There mm-hmm. in capitalism, there's no way that we have billionaires and then we have extreme poverty in one country in the way that it is in America, right? But I am of the belief that there is so much for all of us. And there's this abundance. And so when we talk about those folks, I believe it's also about feeling erasure. I think they are very tapped in that in our lifetime, they will no longer be the majority. I think that is a very real reality. And I think it is very scary because I think that they've always felt this kinship and this ownership of this country because they never wanted to share it, right? Black folks were brought here involuntarily for a very specific reason. But then Black people didn't just fall by the wayside. (laughs) They fall back. That was not part of the plan, (laughs) right? (laughs) And so they were forced to share. They continued to be forced to share. And now we have immigration, which immigration is not the problem. It's the politics around immigration that is the problem. This country should be beautiful because of its immigrants. Everybody here is an immigrant except for the natives. And until someone can rectify that situation, right, we are in this constant fight with something that is very invisible because this this country is beautiful because of that. You can't go anywhere in the world and have this many different people in one place. We are the great experiment. And right now we're failing at that experiment. And I think the only way we don't fail at this experiment (laughs) is to understand that there is enough for everybody. There is enough. And when you try to exclude people from something you don't own, it was never yours to begin with. (sighs) We find ourselves in this position in this moment, right? Uh, a, a Congress and that does not reflect the makeup of its people. And if we want to talk about something else, we can talk about throwing out the electoral college. I mean, there's just so many things that have been put into place to keep this country the way that it is. But but we have to be able to move past and imagine something different. Hmm. It starts in the imagination. I think we can do that. Hmm. You talked about honoring your ancestors and, you know, for some folks honoring the icons that came before them, that sounds, that sounds like really 
a, a great kind of way to think about things and think about what my role is in this. But how do you do that without putting so much pressure on yourself that it is overwhelming? That's a lot of pressure to put on yourself to compare to, to make your ancestors proud. Like that's a lot. How do you deal with that? It is, but I think they had it worse. So I mm. think that's how I deal with it. Mm. Is that I think about the people who, from my own family, my mom tells stories. So my mom from Mount Bayou, Mississippi. So when I talk about the Delta, so she's from Mount Bayou, Mississippi. It was an all black town. One of the very first black owned hospitals, black owned um, schools, grocery stores, the whole nine. And she talks about how our cousins were fighting you know, during the civil rights movement, and they would have to hide when they came home, right? And park cars and other garages and these very real and scary life and death moments, right? Today, I'm not sitting here with a target on my back in that way. For for me, I feel like our harm, the harm that's being caused to us is, is so much different than that harm. And so it there is some pressure, but... I also feel very privileged in how I was raised and the family I was born into and the opportunities I've had. And so with with all of that comes great responsibility. So I, I often don't see it so much as pressure, but as an opportunity because I was given what I've been given. And we all know this playing field when you're born is, is just, it's not equal. So I think it is a, a, incumbent upon those who inhabit it to see that everyone has an opportunity because everyone doesn't grow up with shoestrings, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So everybody doesn't grow up with shoes. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you grow up with a glass slipper, then how are you helping the people that don't have any shoes? Mm-hmm. And I and I often, especially with politics, the the going byline is always thinking about the middle class, right? The working middle class. That is who the majority of people in this country, that's how they identify. But I think we miss it when we don't talk about the poor. And I think, you know, that's who I think the orange man connected with. He connected with the poor. And I think that that's the part that Democrats miss so much in their storytelling. Democrats can be very elitist and and come off, you know, go to school, that, that whole, you know, that whole moment. And when you forget about the poor... I, I really think you missed the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and I mean the the the, the poor have always existed also. And it, I, I keep wondering, you know, what's what's different now because mm-hmm. they're 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 mad as hell and directing that rage in a lot of different ways that don't even necessarily make sense. Or if they if they could just take a step back from that rage and pay attention, it's not it's not self serving. Like they're shooting themselves in the foot by the people that they vote for. Um, yeah. but, but I, I think you're right that he tapped into that and connected with them and, and exploited that. And, and I don't know what to do about it. Cause that, that those, those bees are angry, right? That he, he, he knocked that nest out and they're, they're swarming. So what do we do? They are right. Hate is a powerful thing. And he connected with them on that because they, they felt like they've been left behind. And I think a lot of us can feel like we've been left behind. Like people have not thought about us. And um, and he resonated with them on that because he has absolutely nothing in common with them. <laughs> like, there's, there's like from A to Z, the orange man has absolutely nothing in common with poor people. <laughs> like, yeah. Nothing at all. But I think it's a great example of when you tap into um, a very strong emotion and, and and 
and the power of fear and how fear can really allow you to take control of the way folks think about a situation or think about a think about people, right? I think this is why I choose storytelling. This is why I love podcasting because it is a big old story. Because once you tell someone's story and show someone's humanity, I really think you can tap into something else outside of the fear. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I went to school, uh, you know, at Drake University. I went to school in a very conservative state like Iowa. And I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of conservative people. We can have a wonderful dialogue. And for some reason in this country, that has gone away mm-hmm. as if we can't have conversations together. And, and we've lost it. We've lost our way. I, I, I want to ask you a, a, about that a, a little bit. What, uh, w- what sense of responsibility do you feel to be balanced in the stories that you cover? Right? Like, do you, do you cover conservative stories as well? Or, or do you find it difficult to? I do not because they are not my audience. <laughs> I don't feel compelled. I like to stay informed. So I do my own work. It's just something I've always done. Right. Mm-hmm. And very limited because I ain't trying to give them a whole bunch of ratings, child. Okay. I just want to know <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying on the other side. But for me, I'm talking to my people. I'm talking to queer folks. I'm talking to queer folks of color. Those are the people who I want to amplify. Those are people I want to encourage and love on and let them know that they are enough and that we are wonderfully made. And so, no, I don't talk about them. I follow it because I want to know what they're saying. But I want to talk to us because they aren't going to save us. We're going to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. How do you then personally, as you're trying to stay informed, how do you do that? We talk about anger and rage. How do you do that without letting the anger overtake you? I don't know. So right, <laughs> was, uh, I don't know. People have told me I'm like eerily calm. I don't know where I get that from. But there was a point last year I was doing the pod and three stories broke and all three stories were centered around my identity. And I really did not have the words. It really took me hours to write the script for that podcast. It was Brittany Griner had just gotten arrested. There was that mass shooting at that church, I believe, that killed all those Black folks. And then abortion rights were being rolled back. All three of those stories happened the same week. And I was sitting there like, what the hell? (laughs) What am I going to report on in this moment? I don't know what to be madder at right now. I don't know what to be more upset about. Um, And honestly, I was equally as upset about every single one of those issues. And I think as a Black person who's grown up in America, you can be mad all day. And I think, honestly, what does Baldwin say? James Baldwin always says something eloquent, but I think he says something to the effect of if basically if you're quote unquote, woke in this country and not angry. Basically like, what's wrong with you? To be conscious is to be angry. (laughs) And so I feel like at some level, I always have this constant state of just agitation and anger around what's happening, period. So maybe that's the grounding piece (laughs) is that I just try my (laughs) best like to not, to not lose it because we've seen it before. So to know our history is to know we've seen all of this before. And now it's just, for me, I think it's always about what are we doing strategically? Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. This is a moment. We live in moments, right? We're not here forever. This is a moment. This is our time. And so what are we doing in our time so that 
future generations can look back on our time and say, this is what they did. Now, this is what we have to do. I think that is what we have to do today. Um, I think about Ella Baker. I think about Fannie Lou Hammer in this moment. I think about Angela Davis in this moment. I think about Shirley Chisholm. Like, what did they do? <laughs> and how can we how can we take tools from their playbook to execute today? I think, child, it's a lot. I'm processing, but yeah. <laughs> what kind of tools do you see? Do you think we should be using more of? Like, what kind of things are out there that we're not doing that you're like, here are the things. Why aren't we doing these things? We're not working together well. Hmm. We're not working together well. So in the 60s, right? Um, and I'm just going to leverage the civil rights movement here because it's a very easy analogy that everyone can uh, resonate with. Black folks look to Dr. King. He was the one, right? The one leader. And that was fine for the 60s. That was before social media. That was before we realized just how big the world is and how small it can be when something like the Internet comes around. Right. Mm. I I think, you know, during Dr. King's time, there were so many leaders that just never got their shine. Right. There was a leader in every single state running every single chapter of the NAACP that it was a group effort and they did not always agree. This was not like sunshine and rainbows. Okay. It was tumultuous to do community building and community work, but there is just absolutely no way we can combat what's happening right now without working together and focusing on like, what is the goal? Now I believe him and Malcolm X and like a Stokely Carmichael, they all agreed on the goal. They just agreed that they was going about it in different ways. And I think all of them were very necessary in getting civil rights legislation passed. Now, Dr. King is the one that gets the credit, okay? But there's no way Dr. King is Dr. King if they didn't fear X more or Stokely Carmichael more. There's just mm-hmm. no way. And so for me, I think what we're not doing is, is being intentional about how we work together and focusing on the big goal and not these little bitty infights and um, miscommunications and all this stuff. I think we can just do that better. I think we can do it better because we can't do it alone. You just can't do it alone. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you t- talked about how <laughs> the orange man <laughs> um, uh, tapped into the fear, but tapped into an emotion that resonated with people and people act on those emotions. I don't know if I feel the Democrats tapping into emotions as, as like I do the Republicans. No, they suck at it. God, <laughs> they suck at it. They suck at it so bad. And I want them to be so much better. I want them to be better at communicating the emotions, but tapping into the things that people care about. I want them to be better about that. Yeah. I feel like um, greatness is hiding in plain, plain sight with VP Kamala Harris. Like, my God, I wish we saw her more. I wish we heard from her more. It's not that it's not that she's not. She's doing exactly what she should be doing. She's doing her job. She's I feel like she's doing it well. And I feel like they can do better about platforming her more and the things she has to say more. Her clips should be going viral. Mm. <laughs> right? Her clips, her voice should be heard more because so many people voted for Biden because she was on the ticket, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he says all the right things. But he's also, is he 80? How old is he? I think he's 79. 79, right. 
so so as a 79 year old president or almost 80 or whatever his his voice is just not going to resonate with everybody his voice is going to resonate with some but not everybody and i don't think they tap into that enough yeah speaking of this how are you feeling about the elections that are going to be coming up <laughs> it's just in other countries right there's more than two parties and this country's <laughs> got two and it just blows my mind that that that's what it is. I I don't know. If Biden is it, Biden is it. If someone else emerges, ah, you know, wonderful, right? <laughs> but we can't go into this blindsided. We have to go into this election very clear that whoever we put in our bets on is going to win. This is not something we can lose. This is a winning situation. And in politics, it's all a compromise. That's why some folks don't get into it. Some people can't compromise and we need that, but we need to win. Now, is it two 80 year old men going up against each other? Then that's what it's going to have to be. (laughs) But if someone can emerge that can get people fired up, I think that's how Obama did it. He got people fired up. Right. Mm -hmm. If there's somebody also that can win over white women, then we we, we got an opportunity. Right. Mm -hmm. White women voted for Obama. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. They didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't, right? Yeah. I think I think when we don't really, I mean, I just think that all the political minds that do all the political things and go to school and get on a whole bunch of debt to do all these things need to be great at it and go do <laughs> the thing so that, you know, we have people in office who are going to see our humanity because we, we, we lived in a country and in that short span of time, that four years, we had someone in there that did not see our humanity, who who literally erased us from government websites, erased yeah. us from the White House, and put three conservative justices on the Supreme Court that are there now for a lifetime. That is wild. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a prediction for the Republican nominee? No, they are crazy over there. It is, <laughs> it is well, that is a reality show. They need to do a reality <laughs> show on that. It is amazing. I think, you know, advent of black conservatism, right, is very popular. I think they, I I just, it's it's fun to watch for me. I mean, DeSantis and the orange man and going after each other and is cruising it now too. I mean, it is the wild, wild west over there. And they've all got a whole bunch of money to fight each other. So hopefully they're their own worst enemy. That, that's so. the dream. Yeah. <laughs> that's the yeah. Dream. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, what, what, what impact do you think abortion rights are going to have on the election? Cause I, I, I maintain that like, you don't, you don't piss off the women and that, that they're, that they're mad, understandably. So, but I, I don't know if that's actually going to come through for us or not. I don't know either because I thought the world would be more upset. Mm-hmm. I thought the world would be more upset, Yeah, but they weren't. Yeah. They weren't that upset. I don't I don't know what's going to fire us up. And I hate that we have to be fired up anyway. Right. I hate that we have to tap into those types of emotions of fear in order to get people engaged. But abortion rights didn't do it. And I think that's really disheartening. But I think it all leads back to like choice. Right. This we're supposed to be a country that allows people to choose. But. Every ruling the Supreme Court makes says nope, <laughs> nope, and no to that. So 
I wish it, I wish abortion was going to have a bigger impact, but I don't, I don't think it will actually. Mm. Mm. It does feel like if taking away rights is going to move people forward and, and fire them up, like the Supreme Court just this week is doing its best to take away rights from many, many groups to, and I'm, I don't know, maybe that will inspire people to, to watch these decisions that all happened in a row. Um, I don't know. I, I hope that motivates some people or, or helps some people see what's going on. I hope so. I hope so. So in this country, it's a game of economics too, right? So class is a thing. I'm, I want to, and I'm not in a class where I talk with a whole bunch of folks who are rich and well off, right? In that way. But I'm interested to know what fires them up, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think a good example is for queer folks is marriage equality, right? So a lot of white gay men poured a whole lot of money into the marriage equality fight. You know, it, it, it wasn't, Black lesbians I know who were, yeah. you know, doing organizational work or, you know, um, going in. I'm in Illinois, y'all. So we went down to Springfield, you know, and lobbying and all of that. We weren't the ones putting in all the money for it. I mean, we can just be honest, right? It was white gay men who got the money or, you know, who want to get married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they would put a lot of money into the fight. We got marriage equality. And then, and then what were they just as passionate about? And, where did that money go? Like what, what gets those folks fired up? I I don't know, but we need to figure it out because from where I sit, we've got all this anti-trans legislation, but I don't know if that's resonating with white gay men. Um, Uh, I don't know if they see each other in that space. Quite, quite the opposite. It seems like there's a rising number of white gay men, at least in my world, that are, seem to want to cut the T off of LGBTQ and, you know, circle the wagons a- a- around around the, the cisgender part of the umbrella. They think that mm. trans people are a liability. And it's horrific. I can't mm. believe just the a, a amount of dehumanizing they have to do to get their head around that. Yeah, and I think that's the challenge. I think that's the cha- a unique challenge we have in the LGBTQ community is that we have so many different identities in one place. No other community has that. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we're black over here, or we're Asian over here, or you know, we're Latinx over here. But in the LGBTQ community, it's like we're all of those things. Mm-hmm. Undocumented, documented, all these, all these things, and what does drawing the circle wider really mean? I think it causes some fear. I don't know. I think there's a disconnect around bathroom bills and mm. trans rights. And I don't, I don't think that message resonates with them. And that hurts the queer community um, in a lot of ways, not just financially, but that means that they are also not showing up to support. Right. Um, as a church kid, time, talent, treasure. Okay, we got three T's to work with in all things. And so <laughs> yeah. if, if, you, if you've got the treasure and you don't want to give that, are you giving up your time and your talent to some of these organizations that are doing the work and they're doing the fighting, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they're, they're doing that. And so I, I think that hurts. I think that hurts the community. And so that's what I mean around the community. Like we need to figure out how we focus on the large, the big goal here. And if we don't agree always with all the methods. I mean, you talk about like honoring the people that came before us and honoring icons. I think part of that is, especially for cis gay white men, needs to be recognizing that 
so many of the people that fought for our rights are the people that are under attack now. And it is, we need to, we need to be working to defend our community because it is our community. And so I, I don't know what else to be doing other than talking about these kind of issues and, and telling people what's going on and reminding them of that, of their history of, of where we, where we started and, and why we have rights. Yeah. And, and the role that they play in it. So I think oftentimes to white gay men, maybe don't see the role that they've played all the time in this, hmm. but I, 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 I think there has been, a there have, they, I believe they have had a role. Yeah. Like I said, I'm processing y'all. I ain't got a lot of sound advice. I hope y'all can edit this really, really great. Um, <laughs> I I think it's I, great. I think you process with us is okay. There's just so much. There's so much we have to think about and deal with while while yeah. trying to maintain our our mental health because we're still just trying to be humans. Yeah. We got families. We're caretakers. Right. We have work that now is from home because we just lived through a pandemic. Can we also just say, like, we are st- <laughs> is anyone else recovering from right, yeah. like the, the pancake? Right. Yeah. And we had a time to breathe and recover from that. It's still a lot to be in rooms with hundreds and thousands of people. Like, it's just a lot. I think people have moved on so fast from the pandemic and I am still like undoing and unpacking all of these habits and behaviors and mental health challenges. Like I am still figuring all of that shit out. And so like for me, there's part of part of my personal struggle in this is like for some of it, I have to focus on myself and I need to get through this and I need to figure out my own mental health and I need to make sure I survive through this. And also I feel like I need to be informed because of so many privileges that I have at the same time. I need to be informed about these attacks on our communities and other communities. And it's, it's rough to find that balance of, look out for what's right. And you talked about stepping up at this moment. What should I do? How how can I help? And then part of it is just like, also like I need to get through today and how am I going to do that? It's a, it's a, it's a constant challenge for me. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's hard. (laughs) Like, (laughs) or me and my homies, we'd be like, life is living. Like life is life. (laughs) What is happening right now? Can can we get a break? But we can't, there is no break right now. And then, like which which fight are we having? An environmental fight? Like I'm in Chicago right now, and we just had the wildfires hit us here. My homie was like, "Are people in a daze? People walking around without masks on, just outside, like it's a normal day. You shouldn't be breathing this stuff in. <laughs> like we are just like we're sort of just in this like we're in a haze a bit, I think, from reality. And I think you know one thing I hear from Black people is like. We've been through worse, you know, but goodness, I don't want to go through any worse. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Right? Um, my, my mom grew up in the segregated South. I, I don't want that for my kids for it to look like that. And for anyone who heard me say that and thinks it's extreme, please don't, right? There's a mm. woman now who set a legal precedent that if, some, if I walk into a cake shop and I want a, a cake for me and my wife, if they don't agree with who I am, they could tell me no. That feels like when black people in the 60s were going, you know, into a restaurant and they told them, no, I don't want to serve you yeah, because you're black. Yeah. It, feels, it feels the same to me. People forget that that there was a time when keeping the races separated was a biblical issue, 
right? That was, that was religion said that that was the way that God wanted it. And if we bring back the idea that religion means you can treat people any old fucking way you want to, that's potentially where we're headed back to just like logically extend that argument to its logical conclusion. And it's, it's going back to the days when my God says that I don't have to hang out with black people. So go away. That's fucking ridiculous, but it's where it could head. It's exactly where we're at. Yeah, That's exactly where we're at right now. How scary is that? And if you listen to this and you're not scared, tell me how. Because I am. <laughs> it is frightening. It is frightening yeah. to think that that can happen to me or to my friends or to someone I love or to someone who's in my community that I don't know. Because yeah. that's harm you can't take back. And I'm a church kid. And so I'm very familiar with church harm. Right. Mm. You know, first places we learn how to love are usually our family and our church. And those are probably the two first places when you come out that you realize, oh, I'm not fully loved here. Yeah. In some cases. Oh, I'm not fully accepted here in some cases, which leads to all the other things. Right. The high suicide rates. Right. Self-harm. You know, not being mentally well, which affects your whole life. Right. Mm. It's church and family. Now, conservatives have taken that as their flagship, but child, ain't nothing about what they doing feels like family to me or feels like church. I tell people, I, <laughs> I hear my friends and I tell folks, I'm, I follow Jesus, okay? Jesus. Now, whatever your religion is doing, I ain't got nothing to do with that. Because <laughs> Jesus and my mom, my mom has dementia now, so she doesn't remember a whole lot. Brilliant woman. And so when I first came out, she would tell me, like, if Jesus thought it was important, I think he would have said something about it. i think he would have mentioned it you know um and at the end of the day jesus never mentioned it now if you want to take the bible and take what paul has to say as gold be my guest but i think the idea was to follow jesus and jesus never said a word about it you know and so i think christianity has i think Man has used religion and specifically Christianity in the United States to embark fear upon people. And we're just seeing it. And this time around, it's queer folks. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, Kyle gave me a book for a birthday or Christmas, something like that. And it, it, the, the book is What Jesus Said About Homosexuality. Uh, it's an empty book. It's a diary. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in it. <laughs> There's nothing in it. There's nothing in it. I need a shirt that says that. Yeah. I went to this really, I went to this really affirming church, which really just changed my life here in Chicago. When I walk, when you walk into this church, they do this welcome, and it's this radically inclusive welcome that I will never ever forget. They literally name every name you can possibly think of. And anytime that someone walked into that church and they felt like their name was not read in that welcome, they would tell the pastors. And then all of a sudden there was another identity added to the welcome. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> alcoholics, not sober folks, you know what I'm saying? This is past just race and sexuality. We are all types of identities. We are all living at all types of intersections that make us all who we are. And, um, child these people ain't following jesus okay so to to sort of jump off of the the idea of intersectionalities i i I did want to talk to you about queer news and journalism and journalists and how i see so few queer people in journalism so few people of color in journalism and to me, the ones I do see, it seems like they're acting pretty straight. It seems like they're acting pretty white in a way. And some of that's just so that they can, you know, succeed in media. 
Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if you have thoughts about like, do you, do you have to leave your blackness or your queerness behind when you're, when you're doing the news and your podcast? Definitely not. It doesn't sound like, but mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know what, what is it with national media making everybody on TV anyway, just the most boring straight version of themselves. I think it makes people feel safe, hmm. but it's actually the reason why I pivoted really to radio so mm-hmm. in undergrad, I went to school to be the next Robin Roberts. And if anybody's listening to this podcast and they think anything I've said is cool and you know Robin Roberts, can we have a talk? Because <laughs> she is the person. OK, I grew up. She was the only black woman on ESPN doing sports. Mm-hmm. Right yeah. now. I don't know if I always had a Kendrick spirit because we was both queer, but she was in the closet child. And so was I. But. Or didn't even have the words for it, but I loved her. I wanted to grow up and be her. I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. I went to undergrad to do play-by-play and color announcing, and I I did it. And I quickly it hit me like I am not what the person sitting behind a desk on television looks like. I do like wearing suits and button-up shirts and jackets, and that is not what women on television look like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I really didn't begin to question like if this was going to work. And I got an internship at a radio station, turning time joiner on in the morning and people would call and say, I, I enjoy listening to you. I love your voice and this and that. And it really resonated that I could sit around in some shorts or some <laughs> jogging pants, talk to thousands of people and no one has to be concerned about what I look like. Hmm. Because there was a lot of, there's a lot about me that people get concerned about when they start to look at me. If you if you see my blackness first, okay. If you see that I'm a masculine of center woman, okay. Um, but that is not who you see on TV. And I will say that there are more women on television, but they are absolutely more feminine women, right? Mm-hmm. Not women like me. So, yeah, that's a challenge. That is a challenge. It feels like you know we sort of have to take these small steps forward in hopes that someone like me does eventually land behind that desk and that people watching accept them for mm-hmm. being behind that desk for who they are and, and, and how they report and how they tell a story. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I have felt many times in my life that people wanted me to leave one identity somewhere else whether I was in black spaces and I bring up something queer and I get them looks like this ain't what this is for, or I'm in a <laughs> queer space with a lot of white folks, I bring up my blackness and they're like, that is not what this is for. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or if I'm in a women's space and I bring my black queerness to a child, my identities is, <laughs> have always been a challenge for others. And they, which meant that they began, they, they became a challenge for me Mm-hmm. until I realized that I couldn't show up with one or the other or not all of them because they all are me. Mm-hmm. They all make up who I am. They all make up how I see the world. They all make up my social location. I think Lena Waithe called it your, your superpower, superpower at one point, but it is because how I see the world is just so different from how other people will see the world. Because it, like at any given moment, any of my identities could be under attack from anybody. Mm-hmm. And so I have to choose like, what am I angry about today? What do I want to fight for today? And and I just, oh, a while back, I just decided that I just couldn't show up as one or the other. Hence why I'm here doing independent. This <laughs> is why I create my own companies. Because otherwise you do have to concede to what your boss says. You have to concede to the company that you're working for. And I don't want to concede. I want to show up as my full self and say what I want, you know? 
speaking of all that, then where, where are you going next? You founded E3, you mm. started Queer News, you do a storytelling yeah. event, you do Outspoken in Chicago mm-hmm. at Sidetrack, you do so much. What, what does the future look like for you? Yeah, so it's exciting. I'm out here living this entrepreneur dream. <laughs> it's a roller coaster ride. I, we founded a company called The Cube. Proud to be a co-founder of The Cube, Q-U-B-E. And we're a place of discoverability for the best black and brown and queer folks of color podcasts all in one spot. We've curated 94 pods into our platform. <laughs> one of my team members was like, Anna, this is like the black queer Spotify. I was like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> that is not a bad analogy. Not that I want I don't want to be like Spotify business-wise, but the idea that people can wrap their heads around is that we like the black queer Spotify right now. We're creating our own Cube original podcast at the intersections of race and sexuality. We dropped our first one in February called Black HIV in the South. How did we get here? It's a beautiful four-part uh podcast series which we licensed to Urban One's podcast network. We Queer News is, of course, a part of the Cube as well, but, and, not but, and, we've got a WNBA podcast out right now called Rebound Revolution that's so queer because women's basketball is so gay, and <laughs> <laughs> and we deserve a gay podcast about women's basketball. And we've got other projects along the way. So for me, the Cube is the future because I believe it is us doing our own storytelling that is the future. I think we are in this creative renaissance right now where we can have a microphone and a voice and an audience to speak to our people. And we should embrace it and not feel overwhelmed by it and have an opportunity to find the good stuff that's out there. So for me, the future is the Cube and going on tour and taking our podcast to the people. That's amazing. Then just, uh, I was going to ask one last thought for people that listen to your show, for people that care about the news, but also need to kind of balance their own life and health and happiness. What kind of advice do you have for for people to uh, on how to do that and, and how to navigate this world that we're in now? Meditation, child. <laughs> I <laughs> meditate, pray, whatever your vice is. I do it all. Okay. Um I had a, one of my sponsors recently was just selling me on acupuncture, right? They talk about acupuncture all the time. I'm here for it. You do, you do what is going to keep you balanced out here in the world. Because I think we all have our place. Like We all have our role to play in this. Everyone's role is not being out in front. Everyone's role is not marching in the streets. Everyone's role is not being in the, you know, in the next boardroom. Some folks' role is raising their family to be good humans. Mm-hmm. Like, you do that up and give everything you got to raising your kids to be good humans in the world. We need more of those, right? Some people's roles are to educate the next generation. We need them to be amazing at that and for for legislation to not get in the way of it, Right. So for me, I think it's you You find what gives you some joy in the world and some peace. For me, it's meditation and prayer time. It's journaling. It is um, doing things that are good for my spirit. And sometimes that's also laying on the couch with my dog, Coco, and my wife and binging on bad TV. You know what I'm saying? Like, do, do those things. <laughs> uh, most recent bad TV that you watch. What, 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 do, you, what do you binge? Oh, my God. That is impossible to say because my wife watches all the black bad black TV. Like, um, I I don't even know the name of half of it, but I have to concede because I want to watch the WNBA game. 
So oh, got it. I I concede to whenever she turns on Tubi or whatever other platform as like, I don't know, child. I don't even know the names of them. She had something on the other day. I just sat through it. <laughs> so bad. I don't know. So did did we do it, Kyle? Yeah. Uh well, yeah, I think we covered a lot. Yeah, we covered a lot. Uh we're we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break though. So, uh, so should we take a break? Yeah, yeah, let's take a break. <laughs> let's take a break. <laughs> So, so are we back? We're back. <laughs> We're back. Uh, we are going to do our gayest and straightest. We're going to do our gayest and straightest. But first, Anna Deshaun, where can people find out more about you, what you're up to, your socials? Tell us all the things. Indeed. Anna Deshaun across all the places. I do have a disclaimer about Instagram because I just got hacked. So find the Anna Deshaun there. Okay. The one without the 3,500 followers. Um, <laughs> but Anna Deshaun across all the socials. And I have a really good time on TikTok. Also, follow the cube, all right? T-H-E-Q-U-B-E dot app. Go there. Discover your next favorite podcast. And if you're into queer music, you're into music, E3 Radio is here all day, 24-7, playing queer music. So awesome. Thank you. Uh, Our website is gayishpodcast.com. We are on all the socials at Gayish Podcast. Our hotline, you can send us text messages or leave us voicemails, is 5855-GAYISH. That's 585-542-9474. Standard rate supply. Our email is gayishpodcast at gmail.com. Our physical mailing address is post office box 19882, Seattle, Washington, 98109. Uh, quick programming note, I need everybody to buy their tickets for Chicago. We're going to be at Sidetrack yeah. just a few days before Anna Deshaun is going to be there to, to do a storytelling event. Um, uh, but yeah, you can go to our, our site as uh, gayishpodcast.com slash live and pick up tickets. We've got... Um, uh, quite quite a few for for Chicago left available, but uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles are filling up fast. They're both over half sold. So if you're uh, if you're dilly dallying, maybe maybe don't get off your ass. Buy some tickets. Get some <laughs> tickets now. Uh, gays and straightest. Yeah, let's do our gays and straightest. I'll go first. Okay. Because my 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 gays is actually sad this week. Believe it or not. Um, oh. So the the straightest thing about me this week, I am in Ireland for work, and I so I was taking the flight from Seattle to Heathrow. And I got set next to two men. They weren't together. None of us were together at all. But uh, the, the the kid in the middle looked to be like maybe 22, maybe just a baby. But he was wearing a, a, a shirt that said choose life with two little baby footprints on, on, on the bottom. And it, he had like a cowboy hat and like like a weird pointy facial hair that I thought like maybe this kid was Amish. Definitely some like kind of fundamentalist though because of the like who wears a... F- pro-life shirt like on an airplane anyway uh i was code switching hard the straightest thing about me this week is like talking to that kid and like did not talk about being gay did not talk about the 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 gender of my my ex-spouses at all and uh i i don't know just when i when i felt fear about who this person was i i like butched it up you know straightened up yeah yeah well the the (laughs) gayest thing about me this week is the kid let me know that this was his very first time on an airplane ever. And the dude next to him was a talker, an airplane talker. I hate an airplane talker. This kid, I like, despite being worried about this kid was like, he might be having a horrible day. So let's, let's switch seats. So uh, I switched seats with him. And then, so I got the airplane talker kid falls asleep. I'm getting to the point here in just a second. I promise. 
he gets up later, goes to the bathroom. So I tell the airplane talker, hey, look, I'm gay. I was I was dodging some of your questions that you were asking earlier. I'm sorry. Um, um, and he was like, I kind of thought maybe you were. And then this dude proceeded for the next like six hours to get absolutely fucking wasted. Wine after wine after wine after wine. And to make a short story long, uh, he then said, is there any chance that you want to come to the bathroom with me? <laughs> He's a 71 year old man from London. Just like was talking about his like whole past, his history, his grandkids that he loves. And I was like, no, no, I no, I do not. He said, I don't think you understand what I'm asking. And I said, Oh, I very much do. And the answer <laughs> is no, this man exposed his penis to me on an airplane. <gasps> no, what? <laughs> He pulled it out. He pulled it out. He was like, like, this is what I'm talking about. So then now I'm like, okay, we're over Greenland or wherever the fuck. I don't want there to be an international incident on an airplane on this kid's first fucking airplane ride. So I just like put that away, knock it off and fell asleep. And now I've been feeling guilty ever since that I should have like gotten that man on a no fly list or something. And instead of just like sweeping it under the rug. But yeah, I don't know. I got flashed on an airplane. I think that's pretty gay. <laughs> wow holy shit mike yeah yeah you were sexually harassed on a plane yo i i was i absolutely was yep yeah <sighs> that's what i don't think you should feel guilty for like whatever you need to do to get through <laughs> something like that like whatever you do to get through it is like that's that's your role in this is get through that and yep whatever that was, it was very sweet of you to be looking out for another person in that time that you were the one like being assaulted. So like, Uh, and Seattle pride was the weekend before I didn't get sexually harassed there even once. That's disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Holy shit. Right. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um, Go for it. But also, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can't. But also know that like you, you did what you also had to do to stay safe in those moments. So I often feel like those types of things happen to me from time to time, like microaggressions and like sexual harassment. But you do have to choose in that moment, Mm -hmm. like, what am I going to do to be safe for me Mm -hmm. and for everybody else here? Right. And um, God, I hate that happened to you for real. That's, that's terrible. Well, I also, I've, no, don't, don't be, don't, sorry. I, I appreciate that. I've, I've had the thought, um, you know, it's been like almost a week now since or whatever. Uh, I, I've had the thought that like, uh, this happens to women all the time. And I'm a big dude. This man was like all of five foot six. Uh, like I, if there was a, if there was a fight or an altercation, I was going to win. Like I had physical strength on my side. And I know that that's not the case for a lot of women to get in these situations. And I can't even imagine how terrifying that must be to 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 not not have that that advantage in that situation so anyway it was it was pretty wild i think that's very sweet of you to be thinking about other people in this scenario and also you're allowed to like it's allowed to just suck for you and be wrong and horrible for you and nothing else like uh, your instincts of caring about and thinking about and reflecting on other people's i think very a very considerate part of who you are oh thanks kyle and also that was very wrong and and horrifying it was bonkers is what it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, go for it, Kyle. Well, yeah. Bring us up. I mean, Bring us back. 
Yeah, my lighthearted gayest and straightest that I'm going to throw out here um, is the media that I'm consuming. I'm currently reading the book Me Talk Pretty One Day, which is by David Sedaris, who is gay. So reading a gay book about a gay dude um, is my gayest. Gay and hilarious. Gay and I really like it. I've been trying to read this book for forever, and I'm finally at a point where I'm like actually like reading this book that I enjoy. So uh, there is that. Uh, There is also my straightest, which is watching the TV show Letter Kenny. There is very little that's gay about it. It is about lots of bros in Canada. So uh, that entire TV show is my straightest. Uh, Anna, what about you? Yeah. So probably the gayest thing about me is that I do love sports as much as people think, assume (laughs) that I would. It's true. I do. I wake, I wake up to sports center. I go to bed to sports center. That is a thing. I, I am that gay. And, um, And the straightest thing about me, it, it's funny because it's sort of like the straightest, straightest thing, but also for me, it's probably the femiest thing about me mm. is that I do like to get my nails and feet done. Mm. And child, people look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, <laughs> I'm a lady. God dang it. And so <laughs> that's probably the straightest thing about me. And then one, probably one of the things I get the most questions about, like you get your toes done. I was like, yeah, don't you? Feet are important, honey. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. That's amazing. That's awesome. Well, Anna and Deshaun, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. What a what an awesome conversation. You're a beautiful person. I appreciate you being here. Thank you all so much for having me. You know, sometimes I, I do interviews and I, well, first off, I do interviews all the time, but I get the same questions all the time. And this conversation was so not that. And I'm I'm so grateful. So thanks uh-huh. for thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for saying that. And check out Queer News with Anna Deshawn. It's going to be your next favorite podcast. I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also want to thank our super gap bridgers. Thank you to Kit Oliver. Ooh, welcome, Kit. Um, Andrew Bugby, William Bryant, Christopher M., John Crowley, Stephen Porch, Yost Dosel, Harry Shaw, Josh Copeland, Jonathan Montanez, Wadu, Forrest Nell, Patrick Martin, James Barrow, Steve Douglas, Explosive Lasagna, Michael Covington, Just Jamie, Kevin Henderson, Thomas, Thomas B., Timothy Sora, Dusty Sands, A.E. Coleman, Chris Cachatorians, and Jerome York. Thank you so much for all your support. Thank you for all of your money. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. This has been Gage from the Chris Cachatorians Studios. I'm Mike Johnson. I'm Kyle Getz. Until next week, be butch, be fabulous, be you. See ya. See you next week. Wait, I won't see you next week. You're, you're, oh, you're gonna... Mike, oh, we programming though. Mike's gone next week. We didn't. Yeah. We should have said that at some point. <laughs> <Great>. Fuck. <laughs> uh, I'll edit that somewhere. We're on it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>